Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. a good day to meet in the house of the Lord mm-hmm. and worship him and praise his name. And Jerry, you've done it again. You sang my notes. What's up with this? Well, that was, that was Grandma Carter. <laughs> well, awesome. I felt like, hey, I heard something from God because Jerry confirmed it right with his music. Yeah, it's always good to have confirmation. But anyway, um, welcome, newbies. I love that. It's good to see new faces and meet new people and just love them and encourage them in the Lord. And uh, and for the rest of you, I want to ask you a question. What do you hang on to for dear life when your uh, world starts to sink? What is it that you cling to? Okay. Well, I hope that you have a favorite scripture from God's word that keeps your boat afloat, that becomes an anchor in those stormy seas that we experience, wherever they're coming from, and it rekindles the hope within you when it seems that all hope is gone. And some, We all are in those places at one time or another, right? We're humans. We live in a cursed and fallen world. Well, I've shared many times that my foundational scripture is, and it's the one word that I keep returning to, to remind myself who God is what he's working on in me and what he provides for me and where my destiny will be for eternity. You're going to find all that in scripture. So my scripture is Psalm 23. It's the anchor to my life. One day, isn't that how stories start? Or it was a dark and stormy night. Or once upon a time, Well, one day, I was about eight years old, and I was swinging in my swing in the backyard. And uh, it was a summer day, because I remember feeling warm, and it was just beautiful. All of a sudden, at eight years old, something told me I was impressed upon to go into the house and get my mother's white wedding Bible. Now, she was married in 1940, and so at that time, it was very customary for the brides to carry a white holy Bible down the aisle with them. <laughs> so I took it out to the swing, and I started swinging again, and um, I opened it up. I let it fall open, this beautiful little white Bible. And you guessed it, it fell to Psalm 23. And of course, there's other psalms on the page, but this was a really short one, and I just kind of zeroed in on that one. And um, and I was very much impressed to read it. And so I read it, and I reread it, and I reread it, and I memorized it that day. And do you realize that memorization comes easier for children? Because now that I'm at the age that I am, Oh, it's like walking through jello. It is hard work. And yet we're asked to memorize it. So no matter how long it takes or how hard it is, we're to do it. 
And it goes in deep, especially when the Holy Spirit is the one who impresses it on you, who speaks it to you right into your soul. And he's imparting truth to you. The Bible says the Holy Spirit leads and guides you into all truth. And God's word is truth. Jesus is called the word of truth. He's called the word of God. And he's called the word of life. The Holy Spirit is called the word of God. He's called the spirit of God and the spirit of truth. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is active. It's alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce through joint and marrow, dividing of soul and spirit, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. And 1 Peter 1.25 says, but the word of the Lord remains, it stands, it abides, and it endures forever. The word of God is not an option. It is a necessity to your life and my life. The word washes and sanctifies it. It establishes and frames us. It defines us and gives us a destiny. The word puts us upright when we are upside down. It is the life preserver when the waters are rising. And it is the hope when all else seems hopeless. The word, the name of the Lord is a high tower. It's a strong tower. And all the righteous run into it and are saved. Proverbs 18.10. One can tell by reading the Psalms that King David had an incredible relationship to the Lord. It says that he had a heart after God. He knew God intimately. Yes, he had a holy fear of God. But more so, David was so comfortable with his God and, ex and he, that he expressed all of his emotions, the whole boatload of emotions that he had. And he knew God was good and accepted him all parts of him. David wrote many in the Psalms, and I think that he wrote Psalm 23 for people just like me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David, even though he was the king of Judah, he still remembered what it was like to be a little shepherd boy out in the field, protecting, providing for, and leading his flock. And David is elevating God to his rightful place of leadership, lordship. God leads, sheep follow. He likens us to sheep because he understands just how really needy we are. They need to be led by a good shepherd who supplies all their needs, or they go astray, or they perish. He makes me lie down in green pastures. God provides only the best for his sheepies. What a delight it is for a shepherd to see his, his flock in knee-deep grass, green grass, healthy grass for them, and then see them kneel down and rest. That's what I feel like doing when I've had a big dinner. They go and they, they rest. Me too. I go and find a comfy chair and I just start to snooze away. Mm -hmm. The sheep can rest because they know they have someone who's their protector keeping a watchful eye on them. The scripture says that God never slumbers. He's always on duty, 24-7, 365. He's always ready to act on our behalf, and he's always watching over us. 
He leads me beside still and quiet waters. Sheep do not drink where there's rough waters. They want it cool like a pool, still and quiet, because the sound of rushing waters actually frightens them. And it can be dangerous for them because their heavy wool coats is one way that, that they're, if they're in the water that they can drown. The good shepherd leads his sheep where they can relax and they can be refreshed and they can be satisfied in their thirst. He restores my soul. We can only reach this place of peace when we have followed him obediently because he is our peace. God provides restoration, but we have to choose to go in that direction. When we become stubborn and headstrong, we step out of his protection and his provision and put ourselves in danger. Rebelling against the shepherd's leading is actually rebelling against our best interests. And so he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know that God has a reputation that he upholds? He cannot do anything that is not in keeping with his character, his wholeness, his holiness, his purity, and his word. His word lasts forever and ever. It never fails to go forth, as Franz said, and accomplish exactly what it is designed to do, what it's purpose to do, word for word. The good shepherd will only lead us in ways that are beneficial and right for us and that brings him the most glory. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, sheep are very skittish. They can be frightened by a shadow, just a sound, just about anything that, that threatens them becomes this impending doom for them. And especially when they take their eyes off their shepherd. They panic, they become disoriented, they want to run the other way as fast as their little woolly legs will carry them. You know what? That's exactly what, what I do. Not with the holy, the woolly legs, but, you know. It's called the flight or flight syndrome. Even though I run away, I want to run away. Everything in my body is telling me, run, run for your life. I will stand my ground. I will be still and know that he is God, my strong God. And together, we are so much stronger. It is the presence of the shepherd and his calming, familiar voice that holds him together and gives him courage to focus on just following his reassuring voice. God holds us together when every nerve says, run. He tucks us away in his safety, and he arms up with his rod and his staff to protect us. Then I can say, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. To say, I will not fear, is so contrary to our natural inclination. We fear things that threaten our safety, our health, our lives, and those things that threaten our family and our friends. Whether it's real or imagined fear, it's still fear, and we react to it. Psalm 56, 3, 4, 
It says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? Nada. My declaration that I will not fear comes from that intimate relationship between the Lord and me that's developed over time. It takes determination to say, I will trust. It takes the washing of the word, the renewing of my mind, and it is giving the shepherd permission to dig out and cut off old lies and replace them with God's truth. He wants to get us to a place where we can overcome our fear with his help. And when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, he means just what he says. We are never alone. He is in us and he's with us forever. And he's strong enough to get you through whatever is a threat. Have confidence in the God that is for you and not against you. For he is our good shepherd. <clears throat> Personally, I have found that trusting God comes from him proving himself over and over and over again, that he is trustworthy and I can surrender myself to his care and his leading. The more I'm with him, the more I love and trust him. It's pretty much the same for sheep. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, we're sold a bad bill of goods when we believe that God was out to get us in a mean or punishing way. The truth is, he was and is out to get you in the best possible way to make you his own and to love you for eternity. As a child, I believe that God had a baseball bat in his raised hand, just waiting for an opportunity to smash me to pieces. This was a very unhealthy view of our Father in Heaven. I don't even know where I got such an idea. But it took root, and it grew in my head for many years. <clears throat> well, nothing could be further from the truth than that lie. When I became a Christian, it was then that the lie was removed, and I could believe God for who he really is as he has revealed himself in Scripture. And how he constantly proved himself to be faithful to his word. The shepherd's crook or rod is designed and used to fight off any attack. He defends his sheep from predators and harm. The rod has a crook at one end to reach out to catch the leg of a wayward sheep and bring him back into the fold. The staff is a long stick which he can lean on while he walks before his sheep. It too is for guiding and defending. But what I learned is it's also to comfort the sheep in that it is used to count them. Wow, each one is touched and counted by the owner. Each one is valued and precious. Counting them means they belong to this shepherd. He knows each one personally. He knows all about them, all their idiosyncrasies, and he accepts them as his own. This develops their confidence and their ability to trust and follow their shepherd. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now David has switched from being a sheep 
to talking about being a man and a relational one, one that can relate to a holy God. God, I imagine, has set a perfect table, exquisite china, candles. He's cooked a scrumptious meal and invited only one other person to dine with him. Because he's the one writing, David put God in one chair at the head of the table, and he put himself in the other chair. But that chair is also for you and me. We sit at the table with God. It's a one-on-one, eye-to-eye, sit down, let's talk for a minute kind of a moment. No one else is invited to that table to sit with you and God. Even though the enemy prowls around and he's snarling and smacking his lips and hoping that you'll bring a chair in for him, he is not invited. He is not allowed. He can only watch. It's always and only about you and God together. You feel spoiled. You feel safe and secure as you sit with the king of creation at the table. You anoint my head with oil. For care of sheep, oil is a soothing medicine to keep insects from bothering them. When anointing oil was used in Old Testament scripture, it was poured on to consecrate the high priests and the articles in the tabernacle. It sanctified and set people and things apart for God's use only. In essence, God is saying that your mind and all that you say or do is to be done with me and my glory in mind. He is jealous for you. In Jesus' days, it was customary for a host to anoint the head of a visitor with oil mixed with fragrant perfumes. This was a sign of hospitality and respect to refresh the weary travelers. Now, Jesus addresses this topic in Luke 7, 44. Simon the Pharisee has invited Jesus to dinner, and there Mary is kneeling at his feet, and she's worshiping him. But Simon puts up a fuss when he saw that Jesus was allowing Mary to anoint him with oil, and he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of a woman she is. She is a sinner. But Jesus answered him, I came to your house, and you did not give me any water to wash my feet. But she, Mary, wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss of welcome, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. She loves me much. In James 5.4, we are told that if anyone among you is sick, He should call for the elders of the church to come and pray for you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who's sick. Is it the oil that carries the power? No, it is the healer, the God, Jehovah Rapha, who is the one who gets all the glory in a healing or in any miracle and wonder in our lives. My cup 
runs over. It overflows. God never runs out of love for you, blessings for you, provisions for you. He's the God of abundance, and he is not stingy. When God adopted you into his family, you became a full heir with Christ. All of his wealth is yours. All of heaven is yours. All of his glory is yours, and his salvation is yours. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus assures us that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it abundantly, rich and satisfying life in all its fullness, to the full, till it overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Ephesians 2, 4, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even while we were still dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And we are invited in Psalm 34, 8, to taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed, happy is the one, the man, the woman, the child, who takes refuge in him. Believers have the shadow of goodness, his love, his mercy, his grace, which follows us everywhere we go, or should follow us everywhere we go. It's much like your own shadow, and that when the sun, the S-U-N, is shining on you, there's a distinct replica of your body following right next to you. But when the sun, S-O-N, is shining on you, the shadow you cast is not your own. But it is Jesus who becomes evident through you. And when all I see you, they should be seeing Jesus. He's all around you, above and below, before and behind you. So the shadow you cast is not your own. It's Jesus who becomes evident, and he's shining all around you. He's hemming you, you into himself with his love, and he must increase, and we must decrease. So his shadow becomes much larger and encompassing. Psalm 136.1 says, Give God, or give thanks to the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. This is God's love, which includes aspects of love and kindness and mercy and faithfulness. And he never runs out of these because it flows from a well that never runs dry. God's love is steadfast, it's loyal, it's devoted, it's gracious, it's compassionate, and it is for eternity. It took me a long time to realize that this is the kind of love that I wanted and I needed. And I found that he is the only one who can give it to me. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Such a bold declaration for a sheep. As children of God, we can most definitely declare that. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because he promised it. It does not require any effort on my part. But it did cost God's son, Jesus, his one and only son, 
his life, death on a cross. Jesus is the only way to the Father's house. It's through him. John 14, 3 says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going to prepare a place that's specially built just for you in mind. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that you may be where I am. He wants us. He desires us. And he's made a place for us with him so that we can be with him where he is. You know the way to the place where I'm going, he tells his disciples. Thomas, doubting Thomas, he objected and said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus desires that you be with him in heaven for all eternity, and he has shown you the way. And he will lead and guide you home, because that's our home. This is not our home. And he will lead and guide us if we follow him. Remember, God leads, sheep follow. Well, if there's one takeaway that I hope that you have gleaned uh, it is the declaration of even though, and I will. Even though my life looks bleak right now, I will fear not. Because you are with me. Even though my finances are dipping, dipping low, and I don't know where the rent's going to come from. I don't know how I'm going to pay for those prescriptions. I don't know how I'm going to pay for the doctor. I don't know how I'm going to pay for my kids' braces. Okay? I will not fear because my God shall supply all my needs. Even though my kids are making me crazy, I will not fear. <laughs> For God will tell me how to respond and what to do in his word if I listen. Even though you fill in the blank, I will not fear. Because the Lord is my good shepherd. And if he brings it to me, he will get me through it. So if you have made Jesus the shepherd of your soul, then you will not want anything but him. So let's pray. Precious Lord, I just thank you so much for your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord God, it is so effective in our lives. It has been so effective in my life. I thank you for it, Lord God, and I praise you for it. I ask that each one of us would learn to follow and to obey and fully give over, surrender our lives to you as our good shepherd. And we just praise you, Lord God, that you are good. You are loving and kind and compassionate. Slow to anger and abounding in love for your little sheepies. I thank you, Lord, right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.